In the following podcast episode, there will be discussions and mentions of death. We understand that this topic may be sensitive and evoke strong emotional reactions. We encourage you to exercise self-care and listen at your own discretion. If you feel uncomfortable or distressed, please consider pausing or skipping this particular episode. Your well-being is important to us. Hi, I'm Greg, and you're listening to Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable. This is going to be a tough one, Polly. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right off the bat. Who's coming in? Uh, we have Amy Neville. She is uh, Alexander's mom. She's the president at the Alexander Neville Foundation, and um, she's got a story to tell. Tough so, story. Uh, a tough story, but a story that, that needs to be told, story that needs to be heard and shared. So this one, this one's going to be a tough one. Get the tissues out. That's right. But together we'll get through it. Okay. Without further ado. Joining us today, we have Amy Neville, Alexander's mom and president of the Alexander Neville Foundation. Amy, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thank you. That is that is great. Thank you for being with us today. To, to start off, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. Uh, so long story short, uh, I am mom of two. Uh, one of my children will forever be 14. Um, Alex passed away almost, it's just over three years ago now, uh, from a counterfeit oxycodone pill that was purchased through Snapchat. And uh, since that time, we have set out to learn everything we can about this fentanyl issue and the social, the co-occurring crisis of social media harms on our children. And uh, from there, we, we travel the country educating others about it, you know, trying, trying to get the message out about the dangers that killed Alexander, because a, a little bit of information would have gone a long way in our situation. This would have been totally preventable had we known about fentanyl. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I, I feel like we talk about fentanyl a lot. And there's just so many, um, so many concerns and so many ways for young people to get it um, that it's hard in its own right, just telling parents and kids how dangerous it is. And then to add social media to it just adds a whole nether level of danger. Um, can you tell us how easy it is to get? Well, to state it simply, it is easy as ordering a pizza. I mean, it is just like ordering DoorDash these days. Uh, these kids have this access in a way that we never had access, right? And then, of course, as parents, we're trying to help our kids through these teen years without this lived experience, right? We need our kids to really help us with this experience and to teach us about these things. But the reality is apps like Snapchat have taken something that was you know, done in scary places and brought it right into the light, right? into our children's bedroom. You know, in my presentation, I have this example of one kid in California that knows five people who've died from this. Four of the five of those kids died in their bedrooms, right? You know, right down the hall from their parents. One died at a party. You know, there's this misconception that these kids are partying and doing drugs, but the reality is most kids are doing it alone in their bedrooms in the night. And their parents have no idea because they're, they're, these dealers drive it right up to the house. Snap has amazing locating uh, device services on their on their app, and you can find people in an instant. Yeah, very. Now, in your introduction, you're known as Alexander's mom, and mm -hmm. you're the president 
at Alexander Neville's foundation. Would you would you be willing to tell us Alexander's story? Sure, sure. So I, you know, Alex lived for 14 years, so I feel like I could talk to him for, talk about him for at least 14 years. Um, I've pretty much been talking about him nonstop for the past three. Um, he, he, by all accounts, was a pretty typical kiddo, right? He loved skateboarding, playing video games. He had a little eBay business where he was selling off his childhood toys, which was oh, heartbreaking to me. But, you know, he's growing up. He's 14. I get it. He's he's trying to find his own. Uh, he had really big ideas about the world. This kid loved history. He loved to educate people about history. And, you know, but one of the big pieces of his, you know, hallmarks of his personality was his deep curiosity. Like he he would learn about all kinds of things. And then this experimental nature side of him where, you know, you know, can I climb an eight foot wall? How high can I climb in a tree and jump out? Like just really kind of pushing those limits. And unfortunately, um, you know, drugs were no different. We always knew Alex was going to have a, an experimental phase. He's the kid that came home in first grade and was after that first drug prevention week at school and was like, ooh, tell me more. What does it mean to be high? My, you know, what is it doing to my brain and my body? And what does it feel like? And so at that point, his dad and I were like, okay, we're in trouble. We need to be prepared. And, and we did prepare ourselves. We sought out all the information. We went to the parent presentations. We read the pieces of paper that came home from school. And we, th we thought we had this, you know, and uh, as Alex got older, we talked about him, we talked about this topic on a regular basis. It was a, a, an open topic in our house. And as he got older, those conversations became more and more mature. And lo and behold, the day came and I was, something was up with this kid. And I'm like, okay, dude, like what's going on? Uh, I want to take you to the doctor. Something's really off. Are you using something? No, mom, I, I was up late. I ate bad food, you know. And of course, being 14, high to puberty, this mood swings was on par with his personality. So I let it go that day. But a day and a half later, he came back to me and was like, okay, I got to talk to you guys. And this is the short version. I wanted to experiment with Oxy. I got some from a dealer on Snapchat. It has a hold on me and I don't know why. This is late on a Sunday. That following morning, I, I called the treatment place and they needed to call me back with their recommendation. And you know, that day we went about our business like normal. And late in the afternoon, he wanted to go hang out with friends, you know, see them before he went off to treatment and who knows how long he was going to be gone for uh, and came home about nine o'clock that night. And sometime after nine o'clock, he, he took the pill that took his life. Nine o'clock on uh, June 22nd, 2020 was the last time I saw him alive. Thank you for sharing. That's how we learned about fentanyl. You know, we thought we were still dealing with the the narrative at the time was still very much somebody stole grandma's pills and is selling them to friends, you know, and usually, you know, death just wasn't on the radar. Usually that's in like an eight to 10 year process, right? Somebody tries something, they get hooked, maybe they're in and out of treatment, but at the eight to 10 year mark, maybe they finally take too much, their body finally breaks down, something happens. Like, so we were blindsided by death. Like it just didn't even occur to me that he could die that night. Um. We're very sorry for your loss. Um, we are hearing more and more stories about this. Um, what can we do as prevention people or as parents listening? Um, oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. that's okay. No, yeah. What can we What can we do to help this crisis? I think one of the biggest things that we can do to help this crisis, as as parents, as people that work in prevention, 
is we have to get society in general to switch their thinking, right? They've been thinking about this war on drugs, who uses drugs, who dies from drugs for one way for so long. And that's just not the case anymore. It's everybody. This can be anybody's child. You know, I I've heard it so many times from parents when I talk about this, they're like, Oh, no, we don't need that messaging because we don't have a drug problem in our house. That's never going to happen. Well, you know what? In the beginning, I, I had a chip on my shoulder. I was defensive about that. I'm like, okay, well, my kid did do it. So why don't you tell me what kind of what kind of kid does this? And so I got better about talking about that. And I will tell people, well, your kid might not do it the way Alexander did it. You're right. But could your kid be Catherine, 15-year-old Catherine? got a tooth pulled that day. Mom couldn't afford the pain medication that afternoon. She asked somebody for a painkiller and she's gone. Or Jack who got hurt at football practice. Mom couldn't get him into the doctor has had a Percocet in the past for a broken arm. Somebody, you know, so he thought he could get a Percocet on social media. Somebody delivered that Percocet and he's gone. So, cause this, this isn't about just, you know, getting high anymore, getting buzzed or whatever you want to call it these days. This is about treating real pain. And the same goes for adults too. I've heard from adults have reached out to me. Are you sure I can't get a legitimate Percocet or oxycodone in the black market? And I'm like, why, why would you, I just, it blows my mind when that question comes up, but I get it. They don't have insurance. They're in pain. They've had it in the past. And so they think it's okay. And people are losing their life that way. It's, I'm still caught up about Alexander's story. I'm sorry. But That's okay. That's okay. He, we, we have that impact on people. And I, I, I get it. Can you, can you tell us about the, the programs and, and the services that are provided by the uh, Alexander Neville Foundation? Sure. Sure. So uh, the main, the primary thing that I do is I, I travel around and I, I give presentations at schools, PTAs, uh, conferences, you name it, I will talk to you. Uh, most recently in my local town here, uh, moms have invited me into their living rooms and then they invite their mom friends over and we talk about these issues because they want to know. You know, I live in an area where the school uh, says, oh, no, parents don't want us talking to our kids about that. And so, all right, well, I'm going to go right to the parents. I'm going to go to the source of that and we're going to talk to them. But I've been, like I said, I've been on national stages, but 12 to 17 year olds are my um, favorite group to talk to. Um, they are so open-minded. They will ask me questions. And so we talk about uh, the fentanyl crisis. And then if we're talking from educating them on fentanyl, they're going to learn about social media, but we also have social media and self-esteem presentations uh, and a dangers of Snapchat presentation that I'll give, but always in that they'll get a fentanyl education too, or a drug prevention education. So you get a little bit of everything and everything that we do is actually informed by the youth. I meet with 12 to 17 year olds quarterly and they give me the latest and greatest information. I show them my presentations to make sure, you know, I don't sound like an old lady because the last thing I want to do is waste their time and my time by going to their school and talking to them. Mm -hmm. And they are, uh, they're so receptive. And I just, I just love them so much. I just love, love, love them. I can't get enough of them these days. And I will tell you though, that every time I go do a presentation, I will give the kids my personal contact information or the youth. Like kids are so minimizing me and I feel so bad when I say that, but the youth, I give our young people my contact information and I always at least hear from one person. It's, can I get naloxone? Cause I'm worried about my parents' drug use. I'm contemplating suicide. What do I do? Uh, my best friend's using pills and I'm scared. Like these kids need help and they don't necessarily, they, nec they kind of want to remain anonymous though at the same time when getting that help. So uh, the one thing I do tell them that if you are in immediate danger, 
we will be finding an adult. We will be getting your trusted adult involved. We absolutely have to. And that's you know, full disclosure. So, mm-hmm. but they're, they're wonderful. I really do appreciate them. I, I do feel like kids are very honest mm-hmm. and um, they know a lot more than we give them credit for. Yep. And they can read us. So yes, we can't yep. go in there pretending like we know what we're talking about yeah. without mm-hmm. really know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when you, when you talk or um, speaking to the kids, um, do you feel like they know a lot about fentanyl? So what I, what I've, what I've learned. So in the two and a half years ish, since I've been doing the listening sessions uh, in the beginning, they didn't really know about fentanyl. They, they um, know that they think they might get oxia, Percocet, Xanax, Adderall, you name it, whatever the case may be. Uh, And the other side of that was there was a lot of vaping going on, vaping of nicotine two and a half years ago. And it's evolved to where, yes, now they know about fentanyl, but they don't know about the deception behind it. So they think that maybe fentanyl is just another pill on the menu or another drug on the menu, but that oxycodone, they don't realize that that the oxycodone that's being advertised is actually fentanyl. So we really try to drive home that deception point of it. And then also, I think it's important to note that that nicotine that was being vaped two and a half years ago, it's now... THC. Mm. They're now vaping THC on a regular basis. Yeah. How often are you either taken aback or or surprised or shocked um, at these listening sessions with information that you probably wouldn't think that this 12-year-old knows, but... Every time. I shouldn't be at this point. You'd think I'd be immune to it. Every time I'm shocked. But the shock stems more from my heart is breaking for them. Like how the, my shock is at us. How did we, how did we let this get here? You know, how did we not prepare this world to be okay for our kids? I mean, this has got to be the hardest time ever to be a teen, right? I would not want to be a teen right now. And, and all of this is really driven by, by social media, you know, Snapchat put it in a report that the reason teens are, are turning to drug is because mental health issues are on the rise. They don't acknowledge their role in that. If right. you take a look at suicide ideation, eating disorders, uh, you know, sextortion, um, marijuana-induced issues, all these things all rise at the same rate as social media in our youth. So we know there's a direct correlation and we need to do something about it. These companies need to do better for our kids. Mm. Um, and you've mentioned Snapchat um, several times, but it's not just Snapchat, right? I mean- so- here's my, it's not just Snapchat. It's happening. Telegram's a really big player in the drug market these days. Uh, each, each group kind of has their, each social media platform kind of has their own unique set of issues. Like TikTok, it's really the dangerous challenges. Instagram is really the, the body image, the, the eating disorder issues on that platform. Uh, and Snapchat was really the first, um, at the, the drug issue. And, and so they, everything works cross platform, but the reason, uh, I obviously really go hard at Snapchat is a couple of reasons. One is because that's where Alex told us he got it and it was later confirmed. And secondly, because they have a lot of, they like to tell us how, you know, 90% of the, of the United States, 13 to 24 year olds are on their platform. Like that's a badge of honor or something. That's the reason why you need to do better. And I really feel if Snap turned it around other companies would follow suit Mm -hmm. and snapchat isn't just connecting people's friends like it 
you're not necessarily getting your drugs from a friend and making that connection. It's a total stranger that they're. Yes. With. Oh yeah. 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 That you can connect to total strangers. And, and it, it appears as though once they're, um, you have one drug dealer added, other drug dealers can start adding you. That's, that seems to be the way it looks like it's working. And most recently, uh, there's been a reporter that I've been working with, and he very recently set up a profile based on Alexander, right? So a 14-year-old boy mm-hmm. in, uh, in Orange County, California. And within, you know, within the day, he had multiple drug dealers he was connected to. Wow. I don't know, you're that was and that was this month. This month, I want to be very clear about that because Snap likes to say, "Oh, well, we've taken all these steps and this doesn't happen." But no, it's happening. It just happened this month, this week. Um, Greg's kids might be too young, but my kids are young adults, and I can remember just being fearful of strangers being able to locate them just to steal them or whatever. Sure. Not, not to maybe come into our home or into our yard and deliver mm-hmm. some. Yeah. 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 Or meet him right down the street at the park. Your kid walks the dog, whatever, whatever, whatever scenario you can imagine it's, it's happening. It's really crazy, you know? And at the time of Alexander's death, the, the messaging from social media companies was watch out for bullies and watch out for sexual predators. And we did that. I checked his phone. We had the internet go off at our house at nine o'clock. You know, Uh, had I seen the drug emoji code on these platforms, or on Snapchat, I would have never known because no one was talking about it at the time. Nowadays, if parents want to just type in drug emoji code, you'll see what the DEA has put out. But keep in mind, it's always changing. Right. right. Greg's on top of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I'm still, even, even though working in the field that I work in, uh, being on top of the emoji codes, I my children are a little uh, young to have their own social media. Mm-hmm. But I could see as parents do, you know, you, there's that time where you, you give your, your, your child the phone and you, you uh, allow them to have this social media and you give them the the precursors. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like you're never really prepared or uh, it, it just seems like it's, it's hard because you want to give your child that freedom mm-hmm. to, to say, you know, I trust you to have this, but how do you, how do you set those ground rules? How do you <laughs> it's I mean, tough. Like I said, we had we had those ground rules in place, but Alex would always figure out a password or uh or ch- you know, change his password or but he'd always because the rule was if you had your phone and you had these accounts, you we had to have the password. But every now and then he'd try to get one over on us, but he always got caught. This kid always got caught. <laughs> it feels like it anyway. I'm sure there's stuff I don't know about. But in fact, Alexander's biggest complaint about us was parents is that he overshared with us. And oh, and I would probably agree with him on that. He did overshare with us, but I always took that as a win, you know, because we had a lot of great open conversations. And I think when it comes to setting those grand rules, we have to first admit as adults, we really don't know what's happening with our kids. You know, I hear from parents, oh, I know everything about my kid. No, you don't. You absolutely do not know everything that your kid is doing. Um, I, I wish that was the case. I wish they knew, uh, but, but it just doesn't, life just doesn't happen like that. And we, we, we have to, we have to admit that we've been duped by these companies. We have to admit that we don't know everything to keep our kids safe. And we need to include our kids in that conversation. One of the things parents could do is, Hey, what have you seen? You know, whatever big platform their kids are on, what, what have you seen drugs on Snapchat or what kind of drugs have you seen on Snapchat? Asking that open-ended question and the way 
that kid answers that question is going to tell them everything they need to know, right? First of all, kids love to know more than their parents. So they're probably going to spill some beans if if there's some there to be spilled. Uh, the other thing too that tends to happen is their kid might say, I don't know anything about drugs on Snapchat. Oh, well, anything weird, anything that ever makes you uncomfortable? Well, you know what? Someone's been sending me these inappropriate pictures or I'm being bullied by people I don't even know. And then now you've opened this door for this conversation about other other harms that are happening in this space. We tend to have a hard time engaging with parents um, in all our communities. We have five communities and um, we've offered trainings and speakers on drugs and alcohol and bullying. And um, it seems to be a lot of the same response was, oh, you know, I've got this. I don't need this. I, I know what my kid needs. Um, any suggestions on how to you know, what I have found it takes, and I have been to town halls where I've had 10 people there, and I've been to town halls where 700 people are there. And it really kind of depends on, you know, you kind of get that one parent, right, that is a big voice within their parent groups, and they're the ones that are going to be key to to expanding that message, whether they've been impacted or not. So usually what I'll tell people who I think are impactful that maybe don't want to listen at first, I'm like, look, I just need 30 minutes. They give me that 30 minutes, and then they're like, holy cow, we have a problem, and then the floodgates will open, right? They'll they'll make those connections and make those necessary introductions. So it's finding those key people who who haven't been impacted but believe in the message. Mm -hmm. But you might have you're gonna have to get them to believe in the message. Yeah. How do you how do you get that parent? Or how does that parent start the conversation? Like you you gave us a a bit you said, you know, um ask your child what are they see what they're seeing on the platform and then the child tells you you know what i'm seeing i'm getting bullied or i'm i'm uh, getting inappropriate pictures what's that next step what does that parent conversation start well usually from there i would recommend that okay well let's talk about what have you seen what does it look like how does it make you feel and then ask your kid, what do you think the appropriate course of action is? Because here's the thing. The last thing our kids want us to do is going to the school to talk about bullies, right? Because it's going to make these issues even worse. Uh, and then report that content. I teach your kid how to use the reporting functions. They're not easy on these platforms to report the content. Uh, so you have to kind of dig around and find it and, and make it work. But I will tell you the one thing that Snap has been completely honest about is that they're reporting mechanism is totally anonymous. So I hear from kids all the time. Oh, I don't think it's anonymous. I'm like, no, that is really anonymous. Report it. And then also keep track. Are they really removing the content? You know, keep track of that because a lot of times I'll get drug dealers that will follow us on our Instagram page because it gets them in front of youth. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll report the content and then they won't get removed. They're not violating any terms of service. It's really crazy, but keep track of it. Keep reporting it. Uh, and then if it's really severe, I mean, maybe your kid needs to talk talk to a, a third party. Maybe they need to talk to some kind of counseling. If they seem like they're depressed and they, they're not talking to you about it, if it seems like these things are impacting them, get them information like the 988 hotline, the teenline.org is a good one. And make sure they have those tools that they know where to reach out when they, they don't feel comfortable maybe coming to their parent. And we have to realize as parents too that sometimes we're not the person our kid wants to come to. And maybe we need to help them figure out who it is they're comfortable going to. So when that moment does come, they go to that that person. 
It's a big one. It is. Um, how young do you think you should start talking to your kids? I think while well, we start talking about this when Alex was, you know, in first grade, six, seven years old. And so, I mean, people know their kid. If if you're thinking about, ooh, should I be talking to my kid about this? Yes, you then you should be talking to your kid about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it's a weird thing out there. I hear it from parents all the time that, well, if I talk to them about it, that's how they're going to learn about it. No, no, no. They're going to learn about it from their friends. Mm-hmm. And they're going to learn about these things in ways that you don't want them to. So make sure that, you know, you are the person that's initiating that conversation. You are the person that they are getting the facts from. I um I remember we did a red ribbon week thing at a local school and uh, mom was furious that for the younger kids we just sent out a pledge simple pledge the red ribbon week pledge and she was furious that we were now talking about drugs to her kid um and I said does your kid ride the bus does your kid watch tv mm-hmm. like yeah. I mean, we weren't going into it. We were just asking them to, you know, make good decisions and not do drugs and be a, have a healthy lifestyle in first grade. You know, we weren't being really. Well, I will tell you, I've done some elementary school presentations and of course it's a different approach. First off with Red Ribbon Week, I've always kind of taken issue with Red Ribbon Week after Alexander's first experience, because what I find happens is that we kind of minimize it, right? We're telling kids to wear wear pajamas to school today to dream away drugs, dress like a cowboy to give drugs the boot. And we're gamifying it. We're making this very dangerous thing really fun to talk about. And that might not be the right approach, especially in Alexander's case, right? But when I've done these talks with these elementary school kids, we talk about body autonomy. It's a totally different approach. We talk about what it means to make healthy choices and so on. And then they do a little art project or write a little, write a few sentences about how they're going to stay safe. Uh, But you know what happens is these kids who we think might not know anything about this are telling me, oh yeah, my uncle, I've seen those kinds of pills. My uncle has them. Or my older sibling has them or somebody that lives in their household has access to this stuff. And now they've seen it. They've been exposed to it. And their mom and dad might not even know, or it might even be mom and dad. So now we can have that conversation. Oh, so when you saw those pills, what did you think? What did you, did you, what, you know, what were you, did you think about taking them or what would you do? Or how did you stay away from them? You know, and then praise them for their good choices. And like, that's fantastic that you stayed away from it. Should you see it again? Don't touch it. You know, what are, and then ask the group, you know, what are some things we can do if we see something dangerous in our house or in our, in our community or in our park, because kids have been, there was a two-year-old in, in San Francisco that picked something up off the playground that was able to be revived with naloxone. Thank God. Right. Right. So, you know, you just never know when these kids are going to come into contact with it. And it's, you know, we might not be talking to them about their own use, but we might be talking to them about something in the world around them. One thing that that we've encountered is uh, parents who will try and take this on themselves, will try and take a, the, the entire responsibility on themselves and not look for the help because they're afraid of stigma. Is this something that you ever come across? Stigma is crazy. I meet parents in my same shoes all the time, but they're afraid to talk about it because they don't want the judgment on their kid. They don't want the judgment on their family. And in fact, I, there's one, there's a family who I know they lost their, their child the same way Alex did a couple of months afterwards and their neighbor 
I know their neighbor and they were going to take me over to introduce me. I'm like, well, I don't want to ambush them. Right. Let's, let's go. Maybe you can make the introduction, talk to them and then I can meet them later. And they said, no, that's not what happened at all. I'm like, well, it is what happened. I can see it on the coroner's report. They do not want to talk about it. But I think that we're living at a time where we absolutely need to talk about these things. And what happened to your child, if you come out of the gate and you are honest about that, you're going to save their friends. You're going to save the people that's in their circle. And that's why it was so important for us to talk about it right away. I mean, I told everybody immediately how Alex died because I was terrified that one of his, you know, it could have been any one of his friends that night. It just happened to be Alex. And it just coincidentally, you know, we were working on getting him in treatment. It could have been any one of them. And, and, you know, you, I mean, selfishly, you don't want that weighing on you. Right. So if you're a parent and you're in this space, you, you got to talk about it. You got to ask for help. We heal in the light, right? Things in the dark don't heal. You feel shame, you feel stigma, just, we have to get over it. And it's, I know it's not easy, but it'll be worth it. Very true. Do you find schools to be very accepting of you and helpful in this situation? Uh, the schools that have had me in are fantastic. I have had really great experiences at schools and I've talked to schools in all kinds of um, neighborhoods, towns, et cetera. And those schools are, have been really, really great. The ones that have had me in and I, I, can't thank them enough. They're always open to conversation afterwards. They, uh, uh, they've just been, I feel like they're really supportive of the ones that get it. Now there are some that are just like, nope, we can't talk about it. Parents will be mad at us, whatever the case may be. Uh, but I always encourage them. We have a 20 minute documentary on our website called dead on arrival. And it's a great tool. That's the main primary tool that I use when I present at schools. And I usually, I offer them an alternative because sometimes they get nervous about showing the film, but so far I've shown the film every single presentation. And I would say in the last year and a half, I've seen 150,000 people. So it's, it's out there. We need to talk about it. If somebody, you know, they can watch the film on their own. There's a facilitator's guide on there to help them if they want to do it on their own. But I'm always happy to help schools and communities plan their own events that don't even involve me showing up. So, but I'm happy to guide them through that. So you're in an elevator. You have three key points you want to tell a family. What would those three points be? Uh, I want families to understand that there is this very dark side to social media, um, that this really can happen in any family and that they have the power to really influence their kids, whether it be directly or helping their kids find the resources that they're comfortable with. Yeah, I am so thankful social media wasn't around when I was a kid. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> For good and bad for me. Yeah. <laughs> Things I wouldn't want my kids to know. <laughs> right? Think about that. When these when these kids are parents, their kids are going to be able to go get all the dirt on them. Exactly. And when people say, oh, I would love to go back to high school. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I would not. And um, I was able to leave high school and go home and escape from <laughs> high school and do my own thing. Now you you can't, you're just always surrounded by everybody. You know, and if there's parents out there that don't quite understand the social media aspect of things and their kid isn't talking to them about it, there is a great film called Childhood 2.0. It's an hour and a half watch, but it is totally worth it. It'll open up some thoughts uh, 
kind of give you the idea of what our kids are up against. At the time, um, suicide was the number one cause of death for our teens. I believe it is actually now fentanyl. Um, I don't think that's been confirmed yet, but I do believe that is the case. But it is helpful to understand the social media space. And then Tristan Harris from the Center for Humane Tech has a 17-minute TED Talk that is really good. So people should look that up too. So only 17 minutes. And when we watch it as parents, we're going to be like, oh, I've fallen trapped to that on social media. You're going to, it's going to get you to take a look at your own social media use. Awesome. Interesting. Yeah. Because I feel like some parents will be like, well, you know, kids should just be off social media. Yeah. That wouldn't that be nice. Right. So like how, how do you do that? How do we put that back? Right. We can't. And then you put your kid in a whole other category. I know my kids weren't allowed to have phones until they were in high school. Mm-hmm. And my youngest was one of two kids in his graduating class that didn't have a cell phone. That's awesome. And did he probably, did he, did he, how did he feel about that? Did he feel like he was missing out or? He did. He did. Yeah. Um, it was awesome for us, but I don't, and being a boy, I think it was a little bit different, but still, I mean, to this day, I mean, he's, he's only 20 now, but he'll still say, yep, you know, I was one of two without him. <laughs> meanest parents ever. <laughs> meanest parents ever, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the one thing, you know, if oh, I could go boy. back and change things, it would be, I wish I knew about fentanyl and uh, we would have waited on the, the phone social media aspect for sure. Yeah, I'm on a whole other side of the spectrum and here I am trying to fight off the phone request. Yeah, my, my kids are uh, almost 10 and eight and we're, we're at a playground and, or at a play date and a parent is giving their kid, you know, oh, just don't forget to call when it's time to pick you up. Like your, your eight-year-old has a phone. It's, I'm mm-hmm. amazed by it. It's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And we think we need these things to, so we could protect our kids, but really we don't. I mean, if you look at like something like Uvalde, did phones save those kids? No, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so I, I just. I don't, I don't know what the right answer is anymore to that. Uh, I wish we need a movement of parents that are going to wait. There's a whole wait until eighth movement, eighth grade, which is really good. But Alex, you know, had just finished eighth grade when he died. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you think maybe 16 is a good age, but then there's Carson Bride who, who got his first phone at 16, got on social media at 16, died at 16. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, you know, that, that frontal lobe is still developing and, and these have addictive nature the phone and social media has an addictive nature to it so you know i guess you know we got to wait till they're out of college <laughs> wait till landlines that... landlines with the short cords yeah right? we need to go back <laughs> not even cordless phones just landlines with the short cords you have to sit in the kitchen and have your whole family <laughs> that's, right. To that's right that's exactly. what i'm going back to although i think there's some dangers to waiting too long on things too because then i feel like you're kids either will sneak around and find a way around Mm -hmm. it or Mm -hmm. when they finally get access to whatever it is it's sometimes an overload um sure yeah 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 I don't it's going to be different for every family but I will tell you too that kids don't even have to be on social media to be impacted by social media because somebody else might be taking their picture and posting something about them it's happened uh there's been you know things that have gone down that way too so I don't know. Other than, you know, we got to spot check these phones. We got to have these open conversations and, uh, you know, we still have to trust our kids. Do you have any thoughts on, um, I don't know what they're called, but apps like 360, like monitoring. Good. 
I think the monitoring apps are really important. Uh, however, um, Snapchat doesn't allow those to interface with their platform. So you think you're doing the right thing. You think you've got this going on, but Snap has kicked you off and you can't look at it. Now, Snap came out with their own parent center where you ha now have to become a user. As a parent, you have to create an account and you can connect with your child on there and you can see who they're talking to, but you can't see what they're talking about. And they equate that to, well, you don't listen to your kids' private conversations. I have that option, right? If a kid comes over to my house, I can vet that kid. I can talk to that kid. I can learn about that kid. And then my mom instincts can kick in, right? Mm -hmm. And then if they go off and they're doing whatever they're doing, I can show up in that space in the house and be like, hey, how's it going? You need some drinks? You need some snacks? I can get in on that conversation. I can, you know, I can listen in, 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 a, in a certain way. And then the other thing too, is when they go off and have these private conversations, they still have Snapchat. Like it doesn't change that. And then also, what if my kid's the perpetrator? What if my kid is doing harmful things to other people in that space? Once they get caught or something happens, who's going to be held accountable? Mm. Me, you. as the parent mm -hmm. of this minor. So it, it's not enough, definitely not enough. But if um, it's better than nothing. And then if you do have, you know, your kids on Instagram and these other spaces, definitely use Life360, definitely get Bark. They're important. It's important. Well, I'm informed. I think I am too. <laughs> <laughs> no phones until 45. <laughs> right. <laughs> All conversations go through me. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, it's okay. <laughs> well, Amy, thank you very much for sharing your story. First off, uh, I, I greatly appreciate the strength that you that you show. Uh, I admire the work that you're doing. That uh, it's just Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Do you have a website that um... we do? Uh, it's alexandernevillefoundation.org or the short version is anfhelp.org. Thank Perfect. you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you. See you later. See you guys. All right. I'm Polly, and you've just listened to Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable.